Hello. Hello. Welcome to Friday Night with Friends. I'm so glad that you could join us here uh, tonight. I'm sure you saw the Facebook Live as we talked about this wonderful, wonderful opportunity of uh, women in ministry. And uh, here I have a, a wonderful guest, um, Daniel Corin, who um, is an accomplished author. Um, and he's written several books. Um, and I'm sure he'll probably talk about all the books he's written. Uh, one in particular is um, he called her uh, deals with uh, women in ministry. And it actually a very uh, kind of an exegetical look at all the different passages of scripture that have been kind of misinterpreted when it comes to women in ministry. Um, and I've, I've read uh, parts of it. I won't, I won't say I read the whole thing, but I have read parts of it. Um, and it, and it's, it's not a very uh, difficult thing to read. Um, one nice thing about Daniel, he makes it a very complex thing simple. And um, I think anybody can um, can uh, read this and, and get a better grasp of, um, of what we do here. But but before I get started too much, go, Daniel, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you. And um, again, this is just a kind of Friday Night with Friends, very casual and um, to hear, um, hear the story. Well, I really appreciate being here, Arash. Uh, it, it's an honor. It's a privilege. And yes, the, the topic of women in ministry is, is a really important one for us to look at. Um, I remember one of my, my best memories of you at uh, Urshan was in, in Professor Beardsley's class. I believe it was Luke's, Luke Acts, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. And um, he was teaching on how the whole, uh, the two books of Luke and Acts build up to the point that Jesus is Lord. And um, that uh, that's the kind of the overarching theme or one of the themes of those books. And at some point you felt inspired to break forth in verse and sing, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is curious. <laughs> <laughs> so that was epic. <laughs> I don't even remember that. <laughs> so good times. Oh, good times. That was a fun class. That yes, was, it was. That was a fun class. Well, the book he called her, it's been out for uh, probably, what, six years now, maybe? And, um, you know, as you uh, go through life, you're still growing, still learning. I, I consider myself always a student. And so there's more that um, I've learned, but I can't, I, I felt like I did a very uh, thorough job of approaching all the scriptures that are pertinent to this topic in the book. Um, but I went through some things personally, and um, and Arash had asked me to share a little bit of this. Um, over the past couple of years, I felt the Lord uh, speak to me, my wife, my whole family. We just felt this confirmation that it was time for me to resign from pastoring. And um, that's not that unusual of a thing. You know, people come for a time, and then, you know, your, your time is up, and God moves you somewhere else. And uh, although I was not expecting that, I did not see it you know, see myself ever leaving the church that I was pastoring, love the people, love the place. But uh, when God started talking to me about that, there was something I had put in the book. And that was that, you know, it's not enough for men who are in ministry to say that we need to give women a place in ministry. But sometimes it's a matter of not just giving them a place, but giving them my place. And, uh, and that's an easier thing to write than it is to do. And um, 
so when the Lord tapped me and said, you know, your, your time's up here, um, I, I also felt that distinctly that he had some woman that was going to come and start and help fill that role. And uh, and so I didn't know at the time, and, and I don't want to ramble about that. Long story short, it involves other people, so I'm not going to you know, tell other people's stories. But, um, you know, with time, within a few months, God confirmed to me who this person was. And um, and she and her husband, great people of God and, and greatly used of God. And God gave them a vision, understanding and a burden. And um, and one of the things I wasn't prepared for, I don't know that anybody ever spoke to me about this, but there comes a time when your burden lifts for a town. And, and I, I remember just kind of uh, weeping and thinking of, you know, I, I, was, I was seeing people in town and so forth going, why didn't they ever just turn over to God? I did everything I could to reach them. And then, you know, there's some remorse of, I wish I'd done this better or tried harder or something with different situations. Uh, but what I didn't understand was that when I stepped to the pulpit, there came a day where I did not have the word of the Lord for the town. And that really took me by surprise. It was like, okay, God's lifted this burden as far as my my passion, my drive to reach this town. But I'm not hearing from him for this from this town like I used to. And not that I stopped hearing from God altogether. I could still write. I could communicate. But my place in that city had had changed and that burden God put it on someone else and it was a it was a period of time because um, they were under a pastor and under leadership you know sectional and district leadership and so forth and after time God confirmed to each of them the the same thing that um, we all had been feeling and I did not directly approach this couple um, I let you know the powers that be work through that I did not you know want to undermine any pastoral leadership or anything like that so um you know, it, it, it's a complex thing. So there's some people that deal with the uh, the syntax of the scriptures or they're dealing with the, um, the let's see, the logistics or, or the Bible teaching perhaps that they've heard and they don't know how to um, grasp this concept of women in ministry. But there, there's more complex things, I guess is what I'm trying to say, is um, in, in practice of, you know, what roles, uh, which different ones are going to play, who has to uh, surrender. Because there's, there's a lot of this, um, and I can't remember the exact wording. I know when I first wrote my thesis on this topic, I used a little stronger language than I did in the book. But I, I call, I, uh, in my thesis, I called it um, an authoritarian mindset, that men can have authority and women can't. And... Um, are we froze? Everything okay? Oh, we're fine. Um, is is there a fan or something on, or a heater? I am um, not aware of anything other than maybe the other computers fan might kick in from time to time. I'm sorry. Oh, that that's okay. That's okay. okay. You're you're fine. Go continue. So, um, but but to 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 switch to the the concept of you know what do we do with the Bible when it says you know, things that look like it's against women in ministry. And um, to elaborate on something that Dr. Norris says about the the concepts and, and the proper um, way of coming to the scripture, think of this, you know, we come to the scripture as apostolics, we come from a very practical aspect of we're gonna experience the word of God. 
And there's other faith systems that approach scripture differently. And, and it, maybe this, I don't mean to offend anybody that, that's listening, but at least the way I see the world and the way I see scripture, I believe that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching. But there's some belief systems that don't believe all scripture is profitable for teaching, for instruction. They believe that Romans was written for instruction and that Acts was written just to simply record history. Well, where that becomes a conflict is what we read in Acts is this dynamic experience of people encountering the power of God. Everything that the life of Christ led up to happened in Acts 2. And then, you know, the effects of that new encounter with the Lord plays out through the rest of the book of Acts. It's a powerful, powerful book. And, you know, to throw away Acts is to, to um, you know, chop off half of the Gospels because the Gospels were leading to this point. So when we go to Romans and it says, you know, um, that, you know, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, we can say that just simply is telling us the plan of salvation and we don't have to worry about what everybody else experienced. That doesn't matter. This is what applies to us because Romans is is given by inspiration of God as profitable for doctrine. Um, and but of course, you know, and not to elaborate on this too much, but calling on the name of the Lord, we see that in Acts chapter two It comes from Joel chapter two. And it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. So Paul, when he's speaking about calling on the name of the Lord, of course, baptism in Jesus name, the the empowering of the spirit, all of that is in Romans. And he's just recapping things that these people know. And we can take acts practically as, as prescription and say, well, they baptized in the name of Jesus and they were filled with the spirit of the Lord. And so that is indicative to us of what our experience should be as well. So when we go to first um, Timothy or we go to first Corinthians and we see verses that um, kind of, at first glance, or at least with our um, traditional thinking, it leads us to believe that this is excluding women from participation in ministry. Someone could say, well, these are the epistles. They are written for doctrine. But so is the Gospels. I mean, Luke, Acts, it's building up to show us that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. He is the Lord of the universe. But it also is building up to show us the, the power of the Spirit, the whole work of Luke. Uh, my family and I were studying through the book of Luke right now. And, and the one question I ask him every time we get together is, what did you see in this chapter about the spirit at work? Because, I mean, I know that's where it's going. So I want them to see those things. My children, as they open the scriptures, that they see, oh, this is how the plot is moving forward. But a similar study could be done in Luke, as in, where do you see Jesus elevating the role of women? And when you see his his countercultural, um, in your face, honor and respect that he gives the woman and that he elevates their status. Um, and, and then you see that, you know, played out through these historical books. We have to look at those other letters, those other epistles and go, okay, this can't mean that what the Jews always thought of women is being confirmed here in the epistles because Jesus was showing us something totally different. And it goes back even further than that. You go back to the book of Genesis. Um, the first introduction we have to Rachel is she is keeping her father's sheep. So, you know, people, people ask this question, and I know this is a 10,000 foot view, but people ask this question, can a woman pastor? 
And a valid question would be, what would the first readers of the Bible thought if they saw pastor and woman referring to the same person? Well, if we go back to Genesis, here's a woman shepherding. Mm. Right. So, and then, you know, Moses' wife, you know, so there's these um, individuals or, or these, these instances that give us an inkling and the whole concept of pastor, you know, of course, comes from shepherd. That's more obvious in other languages, but the whole concept of pastor comes from being a shepherd. So that concept of, you know, a shepherd being a female was not shocking to them. Mm. Um, and of course, that doesn't justify the thing, but it shows us that, you know, there, there's these patterns that are hidden throughout scripture, going back to Deborah and, you know, the role of jail and different ones that, you know, God elevated their status, Esther and so forth, that he, he had them placed strategically in this role to make a difference, you know, and a significant eternal difference. So the reason I wrote the book is that there were multiple times I would get into conversations with people and the whole conversation is very fragmented because, um, you know, and, and I wish in, in the few minutes we have together, I could go through every detail, but, but it's, it's exhausting. Um, we'll have to get I have a video training on this. I can't remember. I think it's at least three hours going through and, and teaching through most of those scriptures as well that are covered in the book. Um, but what happens is once you start talking about this, it goes so many different ways because you start talking about the role of women. Then it's like, well, isn't the woman supposed to be submitted to her husband? And or, or you know, and, and you're halfway through discussing that. And, well, I don't know if a woman should pastor. I think she can preach. Well, then we have to deal with a different set of scriptures. And, uh, well, you know, but what about the scripture that says women are supposed to be silent? And, and then we have to deal with a whole other set of scriptures. It. it Many people have heard bits and pieces of it, and they don't know how to come to the conversation as a whole. So um, I would be happy to handle any questions or or angles you think we should go with this. I've, I've rambled for 15 minutes now. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> well, if we usually we usually let you speak for 30 minutes, but this is a unique, unique topic. And I, and I think um, um, we are um, we, we could probably if we should, but why don't we just open this up? Cause I know there's going to be lots of questions and um, we can probably open this up. And uh, Daniel is again, really well versed in these, uh, these passages of scripture uh, dealing with uh, women in ministry. Um, and, um, and, and one thing I, I want to uh, see if you want to tackle <laughs> um, is, is this, this idea that, that women can't pastor men. Um, you know, this idea that, um, well, if they're, they can pastor women, but they can't pastor men. Uh, it's a very, um, uh, it's not a very logical view of women ministers, but uh, I always find it very funny when people see that. They just see, well, you know, because of the, you know, the, the, uh, the headship piece, which, um, you know, we, sure. we know that is, uh, is misinterpreted at times um, by different segments. Um, I don't know if you want to tackle that while uh, sure sure ahead. and you know if they, they say I don't want to pastor men well I wouldn't blame them sometimes that can be tough but um, the, the the concept of whether a uh, a woman can shepherd men uh, that that that's jumping right into to a uh, yeah a heated a heated discussion the the simple answer is uh, look at the scriptural pattern one is, 
is our understanding of pastor correct? Because, um, and, and I said this, and I say this guardedly, I said this when I was a pastor, as God began to shape my understanding of what pastoral ministry was, uh, I, <laughs> I said, you know, the, the pastor is not master, though it sounds the same. That's what people tend to think of is, well, the pastor is the CEO of the church. And, you know, and, and I believe in Newark, you guys are, are doing an amazing job of, of handling this, this concept in a modern context because, you know, the bishop or the figurehead, the, you know, the person who makes all the decisions, um, whereas, you know, there, there was a, a team as Timothy, you know, was sent to appoint and Titus appoint elders in these different churches. So in, a, in the local group, I'm not sure that if we look at it closely, we see, you know, one person in charge of things. Yet at the same time, we uh, do see this, you know, I mean, how many of our moms, Timothy included in scripture, weren't shepherded by a female? And and again, I, I know all the, the responses to that people will have, but just think about it. I mean, some of the greatest men of God that have impacted my life were shepherded by their mom, prayed over by their mom, looked after and taught the scriptures and learned the story of Jesus in their mother's lap. And so truly women have a dynamic influence. We can't say that gender bars them from doctrine, can't say you know any of those, those kind of things that one might use for stereotype. The other thing is, um, you know, some people would say, well, a woman can lead, but a but she can't tell the men what to do. And one of the most outstanding um, illustrations that show that's not true is that Jesus didn't have any qualms with it. Resurrected, he says to the women, you know, because the men are hiding. He says to the women, <laughs> go tell them. That's right. Go tell them the message. Go tell them we don't have a problem you, in, in most of Pentecost. We don't have a problem with women sharing the message. <laughs> but he says, then, then tell them, go meet me. So they not only have the message, the most important message earth has ever heard. Yes. Jesus is risen from the dead and where to meet him in Galilee. So they were giving instruction. And, and, and Jesus didn't say, ask him if they would like to come. Or go get your husbands to tell the 12 apostles or the 11 now where they can meet me. Um, That's a very good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to bring um, Erica uh, on, on board here. And she's already got questions coming through the queue. And um, again, I'm really looking forward to um, hearing some, uh, some of your explanations. But Erica, what, uh, what do we have in the queue? All right. So we got... Uh, you use the unique reference of Rachel as shepherd. What are some other less obvious references to women as leaders? One of my favorite would be um, John writes to the elect lady and her children. And um, there's been some great writing on that topic. Of course, some people want the elect lady to just be the church in that location. Um, but I truly believe he was writing to a woman who was a leader and as was her sister. And, um, and he calls these her children, you know, that she is nurturing in some way, this flock of believers. And, you know, so, so that's, that's an unnamed individual. Um, and a lot of commentators, you know, a lot of commentators will 
um, pass over that as if, well, this is just, you know, symbolic language. It wasn't really meant to a person. However, he wrote another letter to a person. So, you know, to, to a man. And so that is, you know, I'm not going to try to restate that case. I do in the book a little bit. Um, and somebody asked what the name of the book was. He called her is the book. Um, and you can get it, uh, you can get it on, um, Amazon as the ebook. I don't know if that's coming through and you can get it uh, on um, Pentecostal Publishing House or you can go to my website, hecalledher.com, whatever's more convenient for you. Awesome. Okay. And we've got this one. Uh, what is one of the most important things about this topic that you share with people? You know, this, it, it, it opens up a whole lot because, you know, women aren't just repressed in ministry in many ways, but but there's there's several other things that um, women get the short end of the stick in society sometimes, perhaps in family, um, perhaps in their upbringing. And so the, the realization that Jesus will use me in this thing that he's put in my heart to do, um, this desire, this burning desire that I have, it's not wrong. Um, you know, I've, I've listened to women talk about how they felt called of God to do certain things. And then they were told, you know, by their leadership, uh, well, uh, probably what you want to do is this because because, you know, biblically, you're not allowed to do that. And so once they realize and start seeing in the scripture that, you know, that isn't wrong, this is what God wants to do. And that's what he's been doing for thousands of years working through women like he's wanting to use me um it, it kind of releases a whole flood of emotions of other things you know that uh probably need healing or are being healed in that process of realizing that you know it's it's and it's not the same thing as racism but in many ways you know you're being repressed or you're being told no about something simply because of something you can't change you know whether a person uh comes from a certain nationality or certain skin color, if they're told, no, you can't go into that restaurant because of this or that, um, that's something beyond their control. That's, that's why it's so immoral uh, to treat somebody that way. And, you know, it's not like, you know, any of us, <laughs> not to open up a whole nother discussion, but not that any of us have a choice in our gender. God has made us male and female. And so when he puts that desire in a person, you know, some women have said, well, if I was a man, I could, I could do more for God or whatever. And realizing that God wants to you to use wants to use you in the skin He made you in. He wants to use you as the person that He created you to be. You don't have to do something else. You know, jump through some other hoop to be approved or accepted or used of God. That's right. God wants you. Um, what do you think of the concept that women can teach kids Sunday school and be missionaries, but not be pastors here at home? <laughs> that is from someone in our youth. Yeah. The the idea, no, that's, I mean, it's probably in some of the literature too, but um, I think the idea that we, we allow women to go be missionaries is huge. I don't think we realize how epic it is. And in many ways, you know, I think it, it came about because maybe somebody said, well, she really is called of God to be used, but, you know, we can't have her in the pulpit here but maybe she could do something over there. And so she starts five pulpits <laughs> in another country and, you know, nurtures up and starts several works. And, and, and we're okay with that. We, 
we send money and we support that in, in some sense, um, it's almost like, well, we don't want to deal with the problem, but we don't want to stop you. So go ahead. And, and again, that's really simplistic. And I know that's not the most the case of most female missionaries. But the very fact that we have females that are powerfully used of God in that capacity is a testament to the fact that they could do that here. Part of it is, um, and, and this isn't just the congregation, but it's true of our society, at least in, in typical American culture that I've known, is we have to educate people that this is okay. I mean, just like you've got to teach people water baptism is full immersion. So also you, you have to um, take them through the scriptures and let them see that, hey, it's not wrong for a woman to speak in church. I mean, the very context of um, 1 Corinthians 14, which I deal with probably over three chapters in the book, you know, the very concept that women are to be silent in church, it's in the context of speaking in tongues. So if we're going to be consistent and say women have to be silent in church, then they're going to have to receive the spirit of God some other way. <laughs> see, we forbid them to speak. And, you know, but, but God chose this method of speaking in tongues. So, you know, we've got to be consistent across the board and, and look at the whole context, not just one verse. But um, no, I don't agree that women can minister and teach kids. That, I, I agree, women can, let me finish that sentence. I believe women can teach children and be missionaries, but not just that, that they can also pastor a church. And we have some great examples of that. I mean, I don't know many ministers that are my age and even a little younger that were greatly um, impacted by Nona Freeman. I mean, what an incredible woman of God. And um, and then her mom went and uh, started churches. If, I, if my memory is serving right, she started churches in Africa. Um, so God greatly used women in, in history. But the, the concept of arguing that, well, a woman could teach Sunday school. She can teach our children. And I make this point in the book. Um, but she can't teach our adults. Well, who's more gullible? If a woman is a danger doctrinally, I'd rather she were teaching adults who could reason and search out what she's saying than, you know, if, if, if it's a matter of, you know, this being wrong or dangerous or unbiblical, then why teach young impressionable children? Why do we let her in there if we don't trust <laughs> the safety of her teaching? Of course, I'm being facetious, but um, Good point. The, the logic just falls apart. The logic falls apart. Excellent point. <laughs> this is great. All right. Uh, can you explain this portion of scripture? It's um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 13. Uh, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Excellent question. Excellent question. And uh, I believe it's two chapters that deal with that in the book um, <laughs> because there's this whole context of, of what's going on there. Um, simply put, it's not a chapter about local church governance. Um, it is a parallel, and, and this is what I show in, in, in the book. It's a parallel to something Peter wrote in First in Peter chapter 3. There's a very similar, very parallel thought that shows us this was a consistent teaching throughout the churches um, 
about the uh, how to how to have the solidarity of the home and how they have this cooperation and and uh, this this team of the husband and wife how the husband is not to um, and Ephesians, Timothy was in Ephesus, and Ephesians emphasizes this quite a bit as well because there was a, uh, it was a strongly countercultural message. But um, the concept that the husband can tend to dominate, domineer, um, and in Ephesians 5, Paul says that this, and I'm trying not to go off on much of a tangent, but this is important. He says um, that the woman could be washed with words and that's 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 kind of a paraphrase but it's typical of men to to do harm with their words okay so one of the countercultural things he was saying was you know your words need to bring healing need to be cleansing not something that leaves her dirty or destroyed and to the woman he said you know you need to respect uh, one translation even has reverence the husband. Okay. So realize that this role is God given, God ordained. And so going back to first Timothy two, some people try to apply that to the church setting. And I make the case in my book, why this can't fit the church setting, but it is, it is important for us understanding the role of husband and wife. And clearly it says Adam and Eve, this is a husband and wife that we're talking about here. And the, the conversation bookends to show us that we're talking about the marriage relationship. It even talks about childbearing. So it's not talking about um, a church where a woman is usurping. And, and again, that whole the translation of that word is, is quite a discussion. But um, simply put, a woman is not to subvert her husband or become bully or dominant over him. And um, there was a whole tradition in Ephesus, where, where Titus uh, Timothy was going, that um, had this belief system that the woman was formed first and then the man. And, uh, and so that, that, that message is helping these people see the way a home is supposed to be run, the way the relationship is supposed to be, and not with this um, antagonistic um, concept of women against men either way. But in their case, the woman was supposed to be the uh, dominant figurehead. But more of a mutual submission. Yes. 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 Ephesians 5. Awesome. Um, do you think people are becoming more acceptable to women preachers now than several years ago? That's a tough question. Um, I, I would say there's... Oh boy, I would say that there are pockets where people are, are realizing the mistake that they've made in the past and they're correcting that. Um, I would also just say, honestly, I was disappointed at some decisions that have been made. Um, you know, not to go into detail, but but voting and, and requirements and acceptable roles for different genders that have been made in recent years. Uh, I felt like we're a step backwards, um, but that's on an organizational level and the kingdom of God is bigger than an organization. So, you know, um, I would say it's not moving forward as much as I think it should. And, um, and I'm prayerful about how to, how to help that. I, I, I've written this book to help move it forward, but I would 
honestly would like to see it be more accepted, more understood. Um, what is our understanding of 1 Corinthians 11, particularly women praying or prophesying without a covering on her head and how that relates to honoring her head, etc.? <laughs> um, the headship discussion. Uh, you, you, you were not going to avoid it. You're going to have to do it. <laughs> Talk about that kapala or kapale. <laughs> yeah, or kefale or whatever. Um, and I'm, I'm not a Greek speaker, so I try to avoid pronouncing those words. But um, 1 Corinthians 11, you know, really is a strong case for women in ministry because it talks about the woman prophesying, which yeah. is speaking the words that God gives. So, I mean, that's, that's a huge win for the discussion. Um, in the book, I go into the, the concept of the, the whole idea of hair, the covering, all of that. And, and I'm not afraid of that discussion. I think it, distracts a little bit from, you know, the more pertinent uh, concepts or, or, or probably more relevant discussion to the role of women in ministry. Um, but it does need to be handled. And also, I've got a little video series. If you buy my book, um, if you go to hecalledher.com, I, I hate it when people say this. I hate hearing this, but you're fine. I'm not trying to promote the book. I'm just saying I, I feel like I deal with it a whole lot better there than I could in just a few minutes here without a marker board. Okay. Well, yes. I've got to have a marker board to talk about First yeah. Corinthians 11. <laughs> you're fine. You, you take your liberty. We okay. Thank you. But um, but in there, that if, if you get the book, I don't know, it, it might be if you get two books, you get the video course free or whatever. Or, you know, if you can't afford the book, email me, message me, and I'll get you the video course. It, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but the whole concept of, you know, the um, the head, it, it's also dealt with in other passages of Scripture. It's it, it dealt with in Ephesians chapter 5. And... And, and, and there's there's people that have spent more years studying the Greek and studying scripture than I, who could talk about this probably a much longer length. But um, the simple point is, if you look at the context, the head is the point of the beginning. OK, so we think of and we use this term. I think it's 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 hurtful, but we use this term. Would all the church department heads meet on Tuesday? Something, something. And we use the head as in, you know, we're in charge of something. And uh, so, so, so we come to the scripture with these preconceptions. Would the original readers of the Bible have seen um, the head of the woman is the man? Would they have seen that as the boss of the woman is the man? Or what would it have meant to them? Right. And so you, you can see from history and some of those examples are in, in the book and in footnotes and so forth that, you know, uh, one of the. I think the simplest thing I could I could probably point to right now is something most people are familiar with, and that is a Hebrew holiday called Rosh Hashanah, um, which simply means the the day of the head or the the head of the year. The day, the first day of the year, Rosh Hashanah being the first day of the year, it's the head of the year. 
And it, that there's no uh, sense there of it being in control or you know dictating to other days what those days are going to be like. All it is is it's starting off the year. And so clearly Adam was the first formed and Eve came from his side. So he was the point of beginning for the human race. And um, so to, to jump to the next question people ask about headship is, well, when the scripture says um, that the husband should be the head of the home, um, you know, does that mean that he should make all the decisions and so forth? First off, the scripture does not say the husband should be the head of the home. It just simply says that he is. And it's, it's there's nothing that society or our thinking can do to change that. He is. I mean, um, you know, that's that's where the family started. It, it had this point of beginning. So, you know, uh, a, a good pastor might get up and say, you know, husbands, you need to be the head of your home. But biblically, the husband is the head of the home. He needs to be a good leader in his home is what we think we're saying. You know, he he needs to set a good example. Um, and so when, when this realization came to me, putting it practical in my life is, well, if that's the case, then anything that's going wrong in my home, I need to look here first. It's not why. Why is there so much strife, kids? Why, why is there so much fighting? Well, maybe I've been mad dogging them about something. They're just doing the same thing to one another. But it started somewhere. So, you know, my heart's got to be right with God. I've got to be in tune and in touch with the spirit of God. And then that's going to flow into the rest of my family. If, if that's how God created the family structure, then it's not up to us to debate whether it's acceptable or not or, or, or if we agree with it or not. It's I've got to work. So, um, you know, the husband is the head of the home. But when the scripture says that, that he is a, a very strong influence on that home, he's a very strong influence on that wife. And I don't think most men realize that even the guys who say, Oh, I don't make any decisions. My wife writes the checks. She's got the keys. She makes whatever decisions she wants. Well, that doesn't mean you've abdicated headship. That just means you're letting her make decisions, but you can be upset that she's making those decisions and you are, you know, wounding her. This is one of the things God showed me was my words. He says, you know, that, Jesus wants to sanctify and cleanse his church with the washing of water by the word. Well, at the same time, my word should be cleansing, purifying, and setting apart as excellent my wife. And God showed me where my words had been daggers and that I had said things that were destroying her, that were, were dirtying her or, or bringing her down. And, and so it's, it's not, well, you know, she should just ignore me. It's, it's this dynamic in the family relationship you can't escape. And how many times do people sit in front of a counselor and say, well, my dad did this or my dad said this and, and I've struggled with it my whole life and not even realizing what a potent impact you have on other people. Um, so, you know, understanding women in ministry, understanding men's roles um, correctly in the home. And so there is this gender distinction very much so in the family. Um, and God created that way, just like he wants, you know, women and men to look distinct. He also wants the husband and wife roles to be distinct, compatible. He created us as counterpartners together. Um, you know, she's not his slave. She's not his servant, but they are a team together. And um, going back to the uh, headship that we see in, in Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, he created Adam with a purpose. And I always counsel people, you know, when he created Eve, 
she came to join him in that purpose. So when there's tension in a marriage or, or you know, things are rough between a husband and wife, what I ask them to look at is what is your joint purpose? Because God brought you together for a mission. What is that mission? Are we fulfilling it? And a lot of times you have a man that's frustrated because he's not fulfilling it, or you have a husband and wife that are at odds because they both want to pursue their own vision, their own mission, and they haven't seen yet how God gave them both different and distinct interests that are to merge together for a more powerful reason. Mm. Yes. Hello, Daniel. Excellent. Hey, brother, how you doing? Good. Hey. I want to take a pastor's prerogative, if I will, one of uh -oh. many pastors, and ask you a question that picks up on this. Okay. It's a softball. It cues you up. Do you see in 1 Corinthians 11, Genesis chapter 2, do you see that creation story in Paul's mind? And yes. if so, if not, Okay, but if so, does that have something to do with this whole mutuality that, again, is also colored, as you've already referenced, by the first time we see the first man and the first woman and their interrelationship? Sure. Yeah, uh, and, and I think even... Um, so do you see Genesis 2 in that? Do you think that's in Paul's mind when he's writing for Corinthians 11? I do, to an extent, yes. Do you think it's in his mind in a lot of the other passages where he's dealing with? Obviously, 1 Timothy, he says Adam and Eve, so he he calls our attention there. Right. And, uh, you know, Genesis 3, Genesis 2 um, has so much that, you know, because it, it's foundational. It's at the head of the scriptures, right? It's so foundational for so much else in our theology and our in our our practice. Yeah, but, that, and that's one of the that's one of the things that I have always seen in Paul is it, and it has struck me is how heavily he draws upon that period where things were right and then were broke. Right. To talk about how things are broke. And can be made right. Yes, sir. And I, and I wonder how much that plays into that. And that's that's one of the things that I wonder whether we would look more back towards there, whether that would help. And that's that's where I'm just wondering your thoughts, your opinions, even if they don't align with mine, just as far as how that plays out in the husband, the wife, um, gender, mutual submission of the body. I mean, all of these big concepts that you're already dealing with. How much do you think that's if we got back to a better understanding and corrected some of the misunderstandings? Sure. Would it fix some of this? I do believe it would. And I believe a lot of the, you know, you don't want to. Um, in the book, I had to deal with the, with the concept of husbands and wives, and I, I, it's almost impossible to have this conversation without understanding the role of women and their husbands, you know, wives and husbands, not that everybody is called to be a wife or a husband, not very called to marriage, but um, to understand this is, this is kind of the foundation of who we are as humanity and how God designed us to interrelate. Um, and, but then going into the church to understand that though there's this concept about the woman 
and the man. Oh, if I use the word submit, then we're going to be another 15 minutes discussing that. But <laughs> uh, if if we we understand that it's not possible, given even even the street understanding of submission, it's not possible for a woman to be submitted to all the men in the church. Um, that was never God's intention. Just just to deal with that briefly. But back to to Genesis. Um, and again, I feel like there's people that could handle this better. But one thing I've heard was the topic of um, because of the angels, you know, in First Corinthians 11 is a reference. Um, Brother Norris makes a, a reference to this being going back to, you know, the angels were present at creation. They understood the gender roles. They understood this distinction. And so when a, a woman honors that and implements that in her life, there is uh, this power of God. There's authority of God. Um, and, and one other thing, there's so much to go on from, from 1 Corinthians 11, and I'm trying to watch our time here um, <laughs> that we've gone over. But 1 Corinthians 11 says that uh, the authority and it, it says there's authority on her, uh, on her head. So, so there's this authority given protect, uh, directly to this woman. And it's one of the few instances where authority is used and it's specifically referencing the woman. Yet there are certain translations and one of them, I used to be a fan of the New King James until um, I realized that in the New King James, and I still use it, but you know, just got to understand every translation where it's coming from uh, and, and other translations as well. They will say a symbol of authority is on her head because of the angels. So they, they, they're trying to help Paul and they're throwing in another word. Well, the symbol of authority, not real. We can't give a woman authority. So she just has a symbol of authority there. And, <laughs> and so the hair is symbolic or something. And, um, it, but it just shows, you know, how delicate this topic is that, some people, you know, just don't want to lose friends over it, don't want to get into discussion. And, but and Daniel, how, how much do you, do you think it's also, you know, the effects of sin? Um, and you know, the you know, Norris talks about that communication is corrupted and broken, and 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 particularly in the home, you know, uh, communication is broken, and uh, you know, sin enters in. And of course, we read chapter three, uh, about uh, it's a very descriptive, not prescriptive, descriptive about how. Uh, a man shall you know, rule over a woman and, and a woman try to control. And there's like this, this tension. Um, and I, I think you're right. It, it does play out. It still plays out. And we do see people kind of uh, bring that kind of up in, um, in their discussion, especially when we talk about women in ministry. Yes. The, how, how do you, do we want to go in Genesis? Cause um, <laughs> yeah, that that's exactly the case where it says, you know, the woman, you know, some people say, like you said, I guess not not to repeat you, but, you know, is this a a command of God that the husband's supposed to rule over the woman? Or is this just uh, alerting us? These are one of the effects of the curse. Um, I think it's important to understand where we're coming from there and and realize that, you know, this this could be a description of sin and not God's plan any more than it was the same structure of language in Genesis four, where God spoke to Cain and told him that sin was crouching at the door and that he was to rule over it. Well, the concept is kind of flipped there, but the language is parallel. And, and I think the one helps us understand the other better. But again, without a marker board, I can't talk on these things. 
<laughs> Sister Betty put a question, um, and I, I'm sure Erica will put that up. That's next. Is um, she said, what about when there's no husband in the home or family? Well, so, I mean, lucky you. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I am just kidding. But, um, yeah, so when we have these intense discussions, we can't leave out. And, and clearly, you know, there are dynamics that affect everything. There's, there's homes where, you know, the, the wife is absent or the husband is absent and God's grace is enough in those cases. I mean, we don't know how old Jesus was when he lost Joseph, his earthly father. Um, you know, how long was Mary a single mom? And, uh, you know, Jesus appeared to be supporting his brothers and sisters. So I don't know how much younger they were than him at 30. I would assume they were all, you know, able to drive a car and go to college. But um, we don't we don't know all of that. And then there's, you know, this this was something that Brother Littles and I had a conversation about. He really shocked me. I told him when I first started going to UGST, I said, you know, I really want to I want to focus my ministry on family. I think, you know, that. He's like, good. He says, can you give me an illustration of a normal family in the Bible? Uh-oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> if you read the Bible, you have brokenness all over the place. Yeah. You know, when we see this perfect pattern presented in Scripture, it doesn't mean that everybody's handed that perfect situation. I mean, I've never been anything as complex as Jacob's family, where he's got two sisters who are wives and all the fighting that's going on with the kids and then the... And then the other wives and their kids, I mean, that's a messed up home. So, um, they're, they're, and none of those are, are to illustrate to us this is the way it's supposed to be as far as, you know, and the scripture shows us the, the, the hurt of sin and the, and the flaws of sin. That's why those stories are in there. That's why those messy stories are in there. Show us how bad a mess you can get into. It's teaching us. And it's also showing us how, you know, some people change that situation. Um, I mean, even Jesus again, a unique situation, but didn't grow up with his biological father. Um, for part of his life, he was in Egypt, you know, in a country where he was a foreigner, an outcast. I mean, I'm sure there was all kinds of racist stuff they went through there. Yes. Um, so yeah, the effects of sin are all over the place. Uh, even in even in good spirit-filled churches, there's still, there's still elements of racism and other concepts that, that some people are just totally blind to. They don't see, they're not aware yes. of what they're harboring or, or the thought process that's driving their actions sometimes. And other than more book of Acts 2 experience, you know, we need God to open our eyes and, and bring the nations together. That's what the outpouring of the Spirit does. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I uh, actually have... This one and one more. Um, what does dwell with them according to knowledge mean? Uh, in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. I love that passage. That's, that's one of the passages that, you know, God really spoke to me about in my relationship with my wife. Um, and I have an amazing, awesome wife, but uh, I just had some growing up to do after we married. You know, I wanna read this from the New Living Translation, First Peter 3, in the same way, 
you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Um, so, you know, it's going to take some thought process. You know, we go to school to learn calculus or whatever, and we study all these different things. Who's studying their relationship? I mean, if you want a marriage that lasts, I would, I would guess you probably need to read a book on marriage at least once a year. Um, go to go to some conferences or something and and develop your understanding, because the more you understand about the highway system and roads, the better of a driver you are. Well, the more I understand about my wife, the better of a husband I can be. So, you know, and 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 to dwell with her, unlike. And so earlier in this chapter and you'll find that scripture is is very careful not to cast a shadow on some of our our. our are great heroes of the faith. Abraham, Solomon are a couple of them. You know, there's as as many things as we might easily spout and say, well, Solomon made all these mistakes. You're not going to find a lot of scriptures that that pile on him. Um, same thing with Abraham. I mean, he did some stuff that was just like outrageous that, you know, tell him, well, that's my sister, <laughs> the woman that he's married to. And, and yet still in respectful terms, I believe this epistle is pointing out, don't do that, because it begins, 1 Peter 3, it starts talking about, um, be like Sarah, who respected and reverenced her husband. Well, look what she went through. She, she's Some other guy thinks he can marry her because he thinks it's just his sister, and still she didn't hate her husband. She still respected him, even though this was, I mean, probably one of those diabolical things you could do, in my opinion. I would have a hard time respecting a man who pretended he wasn't married to her so he didn't get beat up and <laughs> and and what he's telling us here is treat your wife as heirs together of the grace of life abraham had this promise from god and and, and again men in ministry me one of them thought i was called of god you know god called me and he probably didn't even know who my wife is i didn't think that but if you watch our behavior sometimes that's what we think you know just like okay you take care of the kids i got to go sit up on the platform and uh, <clears throat> heirs together of the grace of life means, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. You're going to have children, even though you're past your prime. You can't have children physically now, but you're going to have children. And Abraham forgot or somehow just didn't think this involved his wife. I mean, the normative pattern is if, if a man's going to have a child, his wife's going to bear that child. And for some reason, he thought God or, you know, he, he, he was... He ends up, let's just say, he ends up, um, you know, having a, a child with his second wife, Hagar, and did not see that Sarah was heir with him of the grace of life. And, and to some extent, um, you know, she she made this comment, but he had to make her feel this way. This is my psychoanalysis of what's behind the scenes there for a woman to say, well, just marry someone else and have a kid with her isn't normal. There was some kind of pressure there that she felt. And so she says, you know, go ahead with this. But be that as it may, the point is a husband needs to get the concept of dwelling together with his wife as heirs together of the grace of life. So what God has given me, what grace he's given me, the, the plan, the purpose, the place he's given me in this life is mine to share with my wife. It's not mine alone. And Again, it's so easy for men. It's just one of the things of the fall, I guess, that we can go off into our success 
and forget about our wives or, you know, not make room for them to flourish and realize their place, their role in the ministry as well. So there's a lot in there. One other thing I want to say is it doesn't say she is a weaker vessel, but treat her as a weaker vessel. Um, and I think we all know that that women can be pretty tough. Yes, absolutely right. Um, we have one from our pastor. Uh, with gender distinction stipulated as a given, are men and women within the church called to mutual submission? What about within the marriage? You know, I think Ephesians 5.21 uh, talks about submitting to one another. And then it goes in and says, husbands, um, to your wives. You know, so husbands, this is how you're supposed to treat your wives. Wives, this is how you're supposed to treat your husbands. So, so the whole concept of the husband and wife role there is built on that keyword submit. And, and I take it even a step further that as a father, I need to submit to my children. And to help put it in perspective, um, and I know some people, you know, fall out of their chair hearing that, but um, if you think about what a shepherd does, is the shepherd the boss of the sheep or is the shepherd submitting to the needs of the sheep? Because when the sheep need pasture, I could force them to stay at the watering hole, but that's not what they need. So I'm going to lead them to pasture because I'm submitting to what they need. And I'm going to lead them to water. And I'm talking a literal shepherd with literal, you know, four-legged animals. If, if they need water, just keeping them fenced in in a paddock where there's plenty of grass, I'm being a bad shepherd. I'm being a bad pastor because I'm forcing on them what I want rather than responding to what they need and getting them to where they need. So a, a, a leader, a spiritual leader, is responding to where people are and helping get them to where they need. That leader might want to be out on a boat fishing, but God has called them, at least in this moment, in this time, this day, to help lead this person to where they need to be. So in, in a marriage, you know, by honoring my wife, and preferring or listening to her opinion, listening to her perspective, helping her make decisions, or letting her make decisions and things or involving her, respecting, um, being heirs together, the grace of life, basically, is, you know, a form of submission. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. So I have to ask myself on a regular basis, am I giving myself for my wife? Am I feeling like what I'm doing for my wife is bringing me to the point of death at times? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how he gave. And so, you know, it's, it's stereotypical for the man to come home, sit down in his easy chair, bring me an iced tea or something, you know, bring me my, my new, where's my newspaper, whatever, and, and treat their wife like that. But I am called to give myself for her. So I really do. If we could get Acts 2 straight in our lifestyle um, and, and living out what God intended for us there, the I think the church would, would would align itself with this, and we wouldn't have this so many conversations. That and I don't think we can fix it on the platform if we're not fixing it in the home. Good point. And you know, right? It, it is. It's that mutual submission of of uh, you know. Ultimately, Jesus Jesus is is in charge, and having both. You know, I love what you said about how two there's a husband and wife, and they're completely on two different tracks, and God put them together and God has a single purpose for them and they both need to be in tune with what God has for them. Um, and then mutually submitting to one another and allowing God to, to move through them. I think that's, 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 that's powerful. Um, 
that's a very good point. You're right. It's that we're both we're both all you know. Yeah, you're right. You're submitting to your wife, and 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 Alchemist is submitting to you, um, and and we're ultimately all submitting, hopefully, to Jesus, and that He's the one who's <laughs> Amen. But in charge, right? <laughs> So there's one more left, and I like this one, so I wanted to say it. Um, do you have any personal examples or examples of women ministers who have been an influence on your life? So mainly from a distance. Um, and, of course, since writing the book and during the process of researching and writing the book, I got to know some, some great uh, women ministers. So, you know, uh, my life has been impacted in that way. But I think that was kind of a, 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 you know, foot in the door God had in my life because early on, and I showed this in the book, I didn't believe in women pastors. Um, and I, you know, thought I was right, thought I was biblically right that, you know, a woman shouldn't be pastoring. Um, yet at the same time, there were some formative moments in my life um, one when uh, Vesta Mangan was ministering at, that God uh, impacted me. Another one, uh, Nona Freeman, several different you know ways her life impacted mine through her writing, through her speaking. Um, got to speak to her once. Uh, and that, that was great. My kids got to be prayed for by her at another point. Um, but yeah, I, I also don't come from a church with a, you know, where a female was the pastor. Um, I don't come from a family of female preachers. Um, although, you know, my mom has, has had, you know, multiple roles in ministry from teaching and leading and so forth. Um, and, and a, a great influence in my life as well. But I, I felt confident writing the book that I was not um, coming at this as a, as a defense of my experience or my preference or of someone I was close to. This was just, you know, a defense of the word of God simply because God opened my eyes in the process of studying it. And I had to know for myself because I hear so many people talk about it. It's just like, well, what do we do with this passage? Cause I started seeing the conflict in logic is, I mean, if we take this to say women have to be silent across the board, then, you know, they can't lead in testimonies or they can't, <laughs> lead in singing or whatever. Um, so, you know, I had to find out for myself. I truly did had to find out for myself. And I read all the proponents for the cause and I read all the um, antagonists against the cause of women in ministry. Um, Grudem is one, he's got a book that just kind of goes through every detail and tries to demolish the whole idea of women as leaders and pastors and so forth. And, uh, and that was a, a really, when I could make it through his book and I had answers for for his arguments, I felt stronger at the end. It was like, yeah, we're right here. <laughs> so, Daniel, awesome. I want to ask the broadcast's final bow. Oh, no. And Arash can close it out. If God calls her, and that's true of all of us, if God calls us, our place in the body is dependent on whether he calls us. But if God calls her, through your exhaustive study, is there anything within Scripture that you see a woman precluded from serving within the kingdom? In? That's the whole point, is he called her. It's not for me to say whether she can or she can't. If the king says, I want my daughter to do this, we listen to the king. 
Mm. And it's really that simple. So your conclusion of all of your study is, is all of these arguments that we have, my opinion, imposed back due to culture, due to our own opinions, our own backgrounds, etc. His kingdom, his calling, yep. his daughter, his son, his choice. That's right. Is that overstating it? That That's exactly the situation. All right, Arash. I'm out of the broadcast. <laughs> I couldn't bro. stay out of it enough not to pop in just a little bit. I behaved. I could have popped in 15 times more. I didn't. Daniel's done a great job, bro. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm glad I recognized a few little things that we shared in common too as we went through a few courses together. And I'm proud of you, man. I uh, thank you for your input, your input and your influence in my life. Absolutely. Amen. Did you want to do, um, I know he mentioned that he wanted to do a book giveaway. Did you want to? Oh, that's right. That's right. We have a book giveaway. Uh, thank you for reminding us. Um, and how do we decide? Are you, did, did you want to pick the name, Daniel? Or did you want Erica to kind of scroll down? Do you, want people, do you want people to comment and then I just go? <laughs> yeah, if you can do it on your side, because I'm not seeing all that over here. So if you can uh, why, handle why that you, side of it. While you're doing oh. that, yeah, go ahead and show the book. I've got two books that uh, go through the Gospels or begin going through the Gospels. This one is Seeing Jesus and then Factory Reset. They both have handbooks that come with them. Um, so why don't we give away both of those to two different people? Can we do that? Does that make it too complicated? No, I don't think that's too complicated. I just made a post. If anyone would like the book, please comment, and then we'll go from there. All right, let's see. And those are available on Amazon, or I could send them to you, whatever. Um, some of my other writing, I've... I've got a piece in the words, first words fitly spoken. It was put out by UGST. I write for headquarters. I've got some books, devotions with dad as well. Um, there's two devotions with dad books. I think both of those are available from PentecostalPublishinghouse.com, Also at devotionswithdad.com, Um, and I'm sure on Amazon as well. So. Awesome. 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 So we're looking forward to it. Hopefully there's a second part to um, I Called Her. And uh, <laughs> uh, as you build on some more of these uh, awesome, awesome points. Um, and, and, and I'm so glad Stephen, uh, you know, was able to restrain himself because this is kind of his candy stick. He he, uh, he teaches on um, on Paul's wife, uh, women. Um, that's a joke there. He, there was a class he wanted to call that. But uh, all those difficult passages. And so it's it's been fun. It's I have to admit, it was a little intimidating when he popped on. It's just like, oh, I had this student professor relationship, like, dare I say anything? <laughs> He's got all the answers. I better not say anything. <laughs> be careful, Daniel. He's on the broadcast. No. What, what's my grade going to be on this? I mean, <laughs> He's going to school me on this on the broadcast. No, no, he wouldn't do that. But. But yeah, it was uh, it was a very good discussion. Thank you so much, Daniel. It was I'm so glad you were able to come on. Um, please like and share um, uh, us. Please partner with us in giving. Uh, NewarkUPC.info. That's kind of where you can connect with us at the moment. We are completely online. We'll have our campus up and running and operational here soon within a few weeks. Um, again, we're 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 excited that you guys were able to participate with us. Um, I'm just buying some time for Erica. To oh, I actually have a question. 
Yes. My sister just texted me a question because she she found out that you're on tonight and she read your book. She said, um, why do you think some people still have trouble accepting women in ministry? And what do you think can be done to help that? Oh, I would say that the reason they struggle with it is, is as complex as each person. Um, some people say, well, I had a woman pastor and that's why I don't believe women should pastor. Um, but likewise, I could say I had a man pastor once that, you know, led me to believe men shouldn't pastor at all. Um, some people say, well, I believe in women in ministry, but our, our culture isn't ready for it. So we've kind of got to just work with the culture. But I mean, our, our culture isn't ready to give up a whole lot of sin, too. So we've got to we've got to teach and, you know, show them the right path. Um, Ultimately, it comes down to power, isn't it? Yeah, it is a power thing. And Again. Power and influence. Absolutely right. Yeah. And, and, and that that raises another deal. The whole topic of power, having authority over a person. Should a, should a woman be an authority? And I, I started on this a little bit ago, you know, the woman is given authority. Uh, we're all given authority over sin, disease, sickness, um, demons. But uh, to have authority over other people, that, that really gets into a, another zone. Um, no one has authority over other people. <laughs> we lead people. Yes. But, you know, the devil tries to take authority over people. And this is a bigger discussion than, than this brief statement. But, you know, the devil wants to control people. So the very idea of controlling people is, is a little sickening. Um, and I don't think that that's a healthy argument to start with, you know, whether women can control people. Well, well control. Um, Erica, are you are you all set? We have a yeah. OK, so I have seven people that comment. Do you want to do it where you give two to one to two different people or do you want us to do four like one person? No. Do, do, tell me how you want to go. I'm going to give. The, the book and the handbook to one person and this okay. book and the handbook to another person. Okay, so, so just two. give me two numbers and I'll tell you their names. Okay. Uh, that, between, one, between one and seven. One and two seven. Two numbers. Okay, let's do four and five. Four and All five. Right. All right, so we have Sister Debbie Pierce and Sister Lisa Morton. Hey. All right. So, Excellent. Yeah, and just send that info to me, and I'll get those in the mail. Yeah, I can I can email you their information. Excellent, perfect, perfect. Well, all right. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for uh, going a little longer. Again, this is a very rich topic and a complex topic that we want to make sure that we kind of hash out and kind of give us some more insight. But uh, thank you for joining us. I uh, hope to see you all folks tomorrow, um, and we'll see you tomorrow at seven. Bye.